Daniel's a very interesting book in Scripture because it, it really has so much in it. Um, and, and there are parts of Daniel that begin to get into prophetic sort of literature, something like Revelation. And I want us to uh, jump into Revelation tonight to sort of follow up on, on, on that together. Revelation chapter 1, let's just take a look briefly at, uh, at what God's word would say to us tonight. Just the first chapter. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. Let's stop right there. First off, what is revelation? What is revelation? This is a revelation, the very first verse. This is a revelation. What is revelation? Martha, can you help me? I'm not going to be able to switch my own slides. Uh, revelation, the, the word revelation, the Greek word there that we're translating is the word apocalypto, which sounds like what? Yeah, it sounds like a, apocalypse. The word apocalypse simply means to pull back the curtain. So this is a revelation. This is a pulling back the curtain uh, is what the word is, is saying there. So something is, 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 is being revealed. There's a pulling back of the curtain so that something can be revealed. So what is being revealed? It, it's here. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. What is being revealed? The events that must soon take place. Yeah, this is the revelation, the events that are going to take place. Where does the revelation come from? There's sort of this chain of revelation here. Where does it begin? It comes from God. It comes from God to Revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him. So it's God to Jesus. Jesus does what? Sends a messenger, sends an angel to present this revelation to John. Yeah, there's that sort of chain of the revelation. God who reveals it to Jesus, who sends his messenger, who reveals the message to John. And John gives the message to his servants, God's servants, Jesus' servants. So the revelation is for us. That message is for us, for the, for the servants of the Lord. So what does God want to say? It's probably the most important question to ask when you're coming into this sort of literature, whether it's the book of Daniel, the apocalyptic section that we read this morning, the statue and the kingdoms, or even the, the apocalyptic revelation here in the New Testament. This apocalyptic passages in Scripture are very confusing to a lot of us, probably because we really haven't yet figured out what God wants to say. So what does God want to say in this revelation? He wants us to hear the word and take it to heart yeah, and believe it. What word? Believe what? What's God saying here? Here's a whole lot of really confusing stuff. Have fun with it. Think that's what God is saying? Statues and candles and beasts out of the sea. Let's just let preachers draw up charts for centuries, and then we'll find out who's right at the end. That ought to be fun. Is this the point? God just wants to play with our minds, make it as confusing as possible, speak in riddles and just blow everybody's mind. What is being revealed? What does God want to say? 
Go back to the passage this morning from Daniel. What was God saying in that incredible dream of Nebuchadnezzar? What's the message? What's the message here from Jesus through the messenger from John to us? What's God want to say? Yeah, that he's in control. Absolutely, that God is in control. That he has victory. Very, very typically, these, these, these apocalypse, these revelations come in times of intense suffering and trial for God's people. Daniel was, of course, in exile, a, a suffering man, and his message that comes from Daniel becomes a word of encouragement to all the exiles. God is on the throne. These kings like Nebuchadnezzar, they rise, they fall, but God remains forever. He has ultimate victory. God's trying to say that, that, that he's, he's with his, his people in, in, in the middle of everything, in the middle of life, even when things seem absolutely out of control and, and pointless, when it seems like evil's going to win, God wants his people to know that he's going to have victory. God wants his people to know that he is in control. It, it's, it's the message that God wants to reveal. So, so let's go. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. He is the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with clouds of heaven and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Okay, there are several things repeated twice, so maybe we're supposed to really get those things. Verse 4 and verse 8. What is it that is said repeatedly? I am the one who was and is and is to come. What does that mean? Break it down. What does it mean to say that God is the one who always was? He's the one who was. Why is that important? I'm the one who was. He's at the beginning, the alpha and the omega. Yeah, he's the God who was. So he's the God from the very beginning. Everything in the past. Now, what else? What's important about saying I'm the one who was? No one else can make that claim. Yeah, always, always was God. Yeah, what else? God of Abraham, the God of our ancestors. Yeah, uh, God our help in ages past. Yeah, sometimes we think of the glory days, the good old days, and yes, God was God then. And that's very, very important. There's a continuity with the past, with everything God has done in the past. God who was, but he also is why is it important to say he is? Because, <laughs> yeah, because I is too. Yeah, I mean, now is the time when we need God to move. Now is the moment when I need God to be with me. It's wonderful that he's a God who was, but if he's not also the God who is, then he's no good for me. Do you understand? He's no good to any of us if he's only a, a God in history. He is a God in this present moment, and that matters. That matters more than anything else. He's a God who is. He is still current. He is still working. He still has all wisdom, all power, and all honor and glory are his. He's a God who is. But he's also the God who is to come. 
He's got a future. What does that mean? Yeah, never going to change. Yeah, the same God who was and is will be the God who is to come. Yeah, he's going to be God tomorrow too. Yeah. Yeah, it's assurance. What do you mean by that, Jack? Yeah, I can't count on anything else, but I know he's a God who's going to be in tomorrow just like he's a God today and the God of the past. He was, he is, and he is to come. That is just so good. Verse 6, let's don't miss this because it's kind of, kind of amazing. He has made us to be what? Verse 6, a kingdom of priests. That's what we are. We're a kingdom of priests. So that means we're kind of two things. We're, we're, we're a kingdom but we're also a priesthood. Us, you and me, like look down your pew. We're talking about all of us being a kingdom of priests. What's that mean? That's what we are. Now we may be a kingdom of priests, but, but since I'm the pastor, I am more the priest, right? So, so that means when you have an opportunity to slip me a prayer request, you ought to do it. Pin a $5 bill to it while you're at it because I have a direct line, right? I mean, you know, y'all can pray too, but, but, you know, am I not somehow higher? Okay, y'all are very eager to tell me that. <laughs> so explain it. How are we a kingdom of priests? What does that mean? Because it's amazing. Yeah, every one of us is a priest. Every single one of us has a direct line. Yeah, a direct line. We don't have to go through anybody else. We don't need somebody else to offer our prayer up for us. We don't need somebody else to read the word to us. We have a direct line because of Jesus. We are a kingdom of priests together. Absolutely amazing. I, I just love that. But, 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 but let's move. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just that we have an access to God, it's that we have that, um, that authority from him to have community together. That's good, right? It's a privilege and responsibility. We are priests to one another. Uh, not just we have a direct line to God, but we have that privilege and responsibility to speak in each other's heart and, and be priests to one another. That's good. Claude. Yeah. That I, who am a sinner, could stand in the role as, as a holy priest before God. That, that is a transformation that only Christ could, 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 could work in me. Yeah, that, that's beautiful. That's just beautiful. Uh, a, a couple of points. Five, actually. Martha, help me. This is the first thing I want you to get tonight, and, and this is very important. You can never lose when God writes the end of your story. You can never lose when God writes the end of your story. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, 
who was and who is still to come, the Almighty One. You can never lose when God writes the end of your story, and He is the Omega. He is the period. He gets the final say. Do you understand this? That means in your life, Jesus will have the final say. And you cannot lose when Jesus is going to write the final page of your story. Now, this is important because you and I, we tend to get in situations where we feel like it's all over. And some of you here tonight, that's how you feel. You feel like your marriage is hopeless. It's just all over. You feel like your life is over. You, you cannot possibly change yourself as much as you try. You feel addicted. You feel hopeless. You feel wasted. And you just absolutely cannot imagine that anything could change, that anything could, could turn out differently from what it already is. But this is what you don't understand. You're not at the end. This is still the middle. This is still the middle for you. As long as you have breath in your lungs, as long as Jesus continues to have the final say and the final word, then you don't know yet how this turns out. It's still the middle. And that means you cannot lose. When you put your life in his hands and let him write the, the pages of your story, do not understand, you cannot lose. He has the final word. He has the final say. This is why you must put your life in his hands. This is why you must trust him. This is why you must never give up. No matter how things look, no matter how washed up and finished it seems, you haven't seen the end yet. Jesus is the omega. He has the last final word. You cannot imagine that you've lost until he gets the final say. Do you understand? You cannot possibly lose when he has the final word. Let's go. Verse 9. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. Okay, where is he? He's on the island of Patmos. What do you know about this? Patmos. Yeah, when Issa said it's, it, it's a lovely place, it's, it's, an, it's, an, it's sort of like, you know, I don't, I don't know, like Gilligan's Island, you know, coconut trees and beaches and uh, hula skirts and, you know, you, you drink out of pineapples. I mean, that kind of place, that kind of island? No, it, it's a dismal place. It, it is a prison. It, it, it is a prison, but it's mostly a place where they would just take uh, folks who they wanted to, to make disappear and just leave them out there to, to die in exposure. So John is an enemy of the Roman Empire. He's a prisoner. He's in exile. What is it that got him in trouble? Yeah, preaching, preaching. Now, we know that John was most likely the youngest of the disciples. We know that John was one of the 12. We know that he seems to have lived longer than the others, and, and, and he died later. We know several things about the way they tried to kill him. Have you heard the story? John was boiled in oil. This is how desperately the Roman emperor wanted to silence the Christian message. It would boil John in oil. Sometime prior to that, he was exiled on the island of Patmos. He has no people around him. He has no real provisions. He's on a prison island, abandoned, alone. It's a dismal place about four miles square. But I want you to get this. Here's the second point tonight. You cannot possibly be in a place where Christ's love won't find you. You would think that Patmos would be the last place in the world to have the kind of experience that John is about to have, but you cannot find a place where Christ's love cannot find you. You will never be in a place so dark, so exiled that Christ won't come to you and find you. Let's keep going. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. 
Okay, let's stop again. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the, in the spirit. So he went to church, right? Yeah, by himself. Yeah, he, he, just, he just had church. It's the Lord's day, and he begins to worship in, in, in the spirit. Where did that come from? I, I mean, he's, he's in exile. He's a prisoner. The emperor wants him dead. He's eventually going to boil him in oil. What exactly does he have to praise God about? How do you worship it from that sort of position? In that frame of mind, how could you possibly begin to sing how great is our God? He has seen the risen Lord with his own eyes. Absolutely. And, and he's going to have an amazing vision here in just a moment. But, but here, here's your next principle. You cannot be so far down that God's spirit can't lift you up. You cannot, can never be so far down that God's spirit cannot lift you up. Now, it's a lie that you believe that when you come into worship that you have to follow your mood. It's a lie that you somehow have to feel like worshiping before you can begin to worship. Why don't you just go ahead and worship and let the Spirit of God begin to lift you up? Because that's the point. He does the lifting. You just have to put yourself in the position where he can reach out and touch you. You cannot be in a place so low that the Spirit cannot lift you up. I, I, it was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the Spirit. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze or fined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. I love that. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in the grave. <laughs> okay. Frank said that John knew Jesus, right? John knew Jesus. So John has seen Jesus. And what did he see when he walked and ministered with Jesus? Tell me about the Jesus that John has seen with his eyes. Yeah, he was a man, just like everybody else. The Jesus that John walked with looked like everybody else. None of this feet like polished bronze, sword coming out of his mouth, eyes shooting lightning, you understand? That wasn't the way that John knew Jesus. He was an ordinary man. What else? Then he saw the resurrected Jesus, and what did he see then, Frank? Yeah, he recognized him, so there was some continuity. He, he knew that it was Jesus, but still, Jesus was transformed. He was glorified and had abilities, powers that were not natural, not human. So he had seen the risen Lord. Now, test your Bible knowledge here. Where's the last place that John would have physically seen Jesus? Where were they geographically? 
Yeah, on the mountain as, as Jesus ascended into heaven, which, by the way, ordinary people can't do. So the last place that, that John has seen Jesus was there on the mount where, where, where he ascended into heaven. Okay, and now he sees him like this. I turned to see who was speaking, and I saw one like the Son of Man, wearing a robe with a gold sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire, his feet like polished bronze. He's never seen Jesus like this. Never seen Jesus like this. And Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. Here's the word for you tonight. You must never fear because Jesus is more powerful than you can imagine. Now, John has seen Jesus and known Jesus, but he would have never imagined seeing Jesus like this. Jesus reveals himself as a God of such power, such brilliance, such beauty, such glory. John would have never imagined that as long and as closely as he's known him. And the same thing is definitely true for you and me. Some of you have walked with Jesus for years and years and years, but you still can't possibly imagine what he can do in your life. You still can't possibly estimate his faithfulness to you, his power. You can't possibly imagine his love. Do you not understand that the longer you know him, the deeper you go into him, the more and more and more he will reveal of himself. You can't imagine his glory. You can't imagine. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. What's that about? Yeah, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, but John falls on his face like a dead man, will he? What's that? Why does he fall? Is he exaggerating or did he really think, I nearly died? Yeah, it's unworthiness. I fall on my face. I, I can't possibly bear to stare into the brilliance of that glory. Yeah. What else? Complete adoration. Yeah, fall on his face in worship, in complete adoration. Yeah, that's beautiful. What else? Recognizes he's in the presence of God. He may have walked with them and, and eaten with them and known Jesus, but he understands that he's in the presence of God, the living God. He falls on his face as if he were dead. And what happens next? When he falls on his face before Jesus, what does Jesus do? I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me. It's very, very simple. Jesus always moves toward the one who falls on their face before him. Do you ever wonder why you feel so far away from Jesus? I'd say it's because you've never, ever put yourself flat of your face before him. You've never fallen on your face before him. You've never worshipped with that kind of total adoration. 
You've never truly understood that he is God and worthy of your praise. And at the same time, how very unworthy you are to gaze into the beauty of his glory, the flaming brilliance of him. You and I, we just walk around as if somehow we're entitled to his presence. We take him for granted. We never fall on our face before him. We're never that broken. And for that reason, we never experience the closeness that it brings when you fall on your face before him. Because Jesus always moves toward the one who falls on their face before him. Last thing, Martha, help me. Very last thing, you can never be lost because Jesus holds you in his right hand. He laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first, the last, the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. He laid his hand on him. The one with the head and the hair white like wool, whose eyes were like flames of fire, whose feet were like polished bronze, whose voice thundered like mighty ocean waves, he lays his hand on You can never be lost. You can never lose. You will never, ever be alone as long as he lays his right hand upon you. Do you not understand that? And he always, always comes near and lays his hand upon the one who falls on their face before him. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the messengers of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And the message continues from there. We get confused sometimes when we read these portions of scripture. We get all caught up in the, in the strange symbols and colors and numbers, but, but don't ever miss the very important message of assurance and comfort and victory that God wants to communicate. He communicated through Daniel back in his day and through John in his day, and he still wants these messages to be true in our hearts. Any final word from anyone before we dismiss anything? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and that's going to come out in our lessons, that that, that ancient of days that Daniel describes is, is exactly like the, 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 the Jesus that, that, uh, that, that John will describe in Revelation. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, good. Anything else? Anyone else? Okay, don't forget that next week uh, we, we do continue in Daniel. you got several homework items. First off, if you got a smartphone or a tablet, uh, you need to connect it to Wi-Fi in this room. Warren Weeks is amazing. Ryan Johnson is amazing. They have completely upgraded Wi-Fi in our entire campus. So now anywhere you go in our building, anywhere you go anywhere on this campus, you'll have a very good Wi-Fi signal, and it's the same signal. So in your phone, in your tablet, find that Wi-Fi channel that says uh, WB. WBC Wi-Fi, is that it? Where'd Warren go? Yeah, Warren, WBC Wi-Fi? Yeah, find WBC Wi-Fi and, and then touch on that. And then the password for WBC Wi-Fi is 2020 Vision, right? 2020 Vision, 2020 Vision. That's the password, okay? Uh, that's the password. So put in 2020 Vision and then you'll have Wi-Fi access all over the building, including this room. 
in this room for the next few weeks, if you're using Wi-Fi, go ahead and open the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, and find the live events which will coincide with the Sunday morning sermons. This morning's Sunday morning live event is going to be live through Wednesday, so it'll give you a couple of days to figure that out and find it. It's actually pretty cool, and I noticed that a number of you found it today. There are extra things that weren't in the sermon. There's, there's a video. There are deeper questions if you want to just go a little bit deeper. There are opportunities for you to interact. Uh, there's an opportunity for you to offer a prayer request. There's even the opportunity to give right there. If you want to make an offering, you can do that through that YouVersion app. So honestly, it's, it's a pretty good interactive tool. So if you're confused by what we just said, ask one of us. We can help you. It's really not that complicated. And once you push that button live event, you'll see immediately Woodburn Baptist Church and, and the live event that we have. Matt Betts is using this very, very well in Teen Church on Wednesday night with his small group. So if you're doing it around Wednesday, you may see my event and Matt's event. Uh, honestly, it's, it's a free tool and it's very, very useful for churches like ours. So let's, uh, let's see how we can use it in, in the weeks to come.